Hello, punk rockers. Here is Bruno Moreno, and you're listening to the Punks in Pubs podcast. I'm passing by in the start of the podcast to show you my band called Oleopardo, punk rock and ska punk from Brazil. And we have a new EP out now in 2021 that you can check it on our social medias. Go to linktree slash Oleopardo and you can also stream the album on Spotify, Bandcamp, YouTube. Don't forget to go give me a follow on Twitter at OleopardoBH, right? That's enough of me talking, now you're going to listen our noise. This tune is called Beer House. It's all about booze, it's all about fun. I hope you enjoy it. Stay safe, get vaccinated. See you! Let's go! Get your words like a Tony Stone. You bet. 
been a while. My name is Liam Bird, and welcome to the Punks and Pubs podcast. It's been six months since I last spoke those words, and it feels so good to be able to speak them again. How have you been? I hope you've been well. I've been getting better. Uh, for the people who are listening to this for the first time, listening to this episode or Punks and Pubs for the first time, I took a break uh, back in early January because I wasn't doing so well. My mental health um, plummeted and um, also my personal life wasn't great. So I decided to take a break from the podcast. But now we're back. And uh, it feels good to be back. And thank you so much to all the people who reached out to me to check on me and send me their best wishes. It, it, it meant more than you'll ever know. And I'm not ashamed to say that a couple did make my eyeballs wet. So thank you for that. But I am back. Now the podcast is back, but with some slight adjustments uh, to help me continue to go through this journey of mental health. Because... The podcast will now be going to a monthly base podcast. So before, I was doing it as regularly as I could, which was normally about every two weeks. Uh, but I just, I can't do that anymore. I burned myself out last time. That I try and make this the best fucking punk podcast in the world. And that takes time. That takes research. That takes booking. That means travel. And it was just wearing me down because... This podcast isn't how I make money. This podcast is is just a joy for me. This is a hobby. This is something that I want to do. And fortunate enough, there's you guys are happy to listen to it. So it makes it all worthwhile. But I have another job that pays my bills and it's a very demanding job. I also have relationships and friend commitments and I want to make sure I'm there for them as well. I've decided to do the podcast once a month, but that's not to say... I won't put up some specials now and again. Uh, the podcast won't have a determined time when it comes out in the month. It's all going to depend on when I can book guests. So, for instance, the September episode, it might be right on the edge of the end of September because uh, the person who I want to talk to might not be available until the last week of September. So... It's going to be a bit more ad hoc, but the podcast is back. It will be going, but it will be monthly. Um, so I hope you're on board with that change. Uh, another thing that I'm going to try and do, and now it's cut down on the Zoom calls. I think I said once this pandemic started and I, I was toying with the idea of actually just stopping the podcast full stop. I mean, the podcast is called Punks and Pubs. And, I, and the idea of doing it over Zoom wasn't what i had in mind when i started this podcast the thing the reason it's called punks and pubs is because you go to a pub and you unwind and you have a chat and you talk some shit and that's what i wanted this podcast to be i wanted it to be relaxed i wanted it to be a little bit raw not in a studio because i think there's so many studio based podcasts out there so let's do something with a bit more atmosphere a bit more life and let's go to a pub and uh i feel that when we move to zoom my enjoyment for the podcast 
fell dramatically. I didn't I didn't enjoy doing the interviews so much. It was great that you can talk to people who aren't on tour, so it gave you more access to, to the bands and artists, but you just don't have the state the same connection. And I think that's really important, especially for audio, uh, as this podcast obviously is. So yeah, I'm gonna try and cut down on Zoom calls. However, we are still in a global pandemic, so it will be difficult, but I will try my best on the conversation of the pandemic if you're not vaccinated what the fuck are you doing get vaccinated so we can all go back and enjoy a fucking dance i went to watch the skints uh, yesterday as i'm recording this and it was euphoric in how i felt going to a live show for the first time in 16 months so do your bit go get vaccinated the side effects are so minimal to what it's given you there's no chips. It's not going to make you fucking have ADHD or any of that shit. Just fucking get it in your arm and let's all move on with our lives. You're just fucking it up for the rest of us. Don't be so selfish. Crack on. There you go. Nothing's changed with my uh, my <laughs> just being angry for no reason. <laughs> That's still there. Anyway, uh, so yep. Yeah, uh, podcast uh what well where the fuck am i up to (laughs) right yeah there's one one other thing that i want to do uh so i want to give back to the punk community it's always been something that i've been proud of doing for this podcast so i'm gonna continue doing the free sponsorship at the start of the podcast no one ever gives me any money for their sponsorship uh all the bands or artists or film people they're all independent there's no major labels being promoted on this podcast if you like O Leopardo, who you heard at the start of this podcast, wants to be a sponsor, feel free. Just drop me an email at punksandpubs at gmail.com. But also, I want to, this season, I want to maximize the uh, the use of the podcast social media platform. So what I want to do now is I want to offer up the podcast Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook account and showcase your your music videos or if you've got a film project let me know about it if you've got a trailer i will put it up on our social sites if you've got clothing if you've got beer if you've got something that is in a video format that you want to present and promote as long as it's not fucking long let's not go crazy <laughs> like give it to me and i will promote it across our social media channels it's it's my way of seeing how i can use this podcast to promote more independent maybe smaller franchises and and projects that are out there so let me help you if you do have a project in mind and you want to promote it on the podcast social media channels then email me same email address as before punksandpubs at gmail.com and introduce yourself and say hi all one community and that's the reason why i want to promote your work but i do also have a request for you as we're coming back from a long break it's only natural that people uh, would have gone away and found new podcasts because there's many out there let's fucking face it what i want from you or what i'm asking from you is uh two things one go on your phone right now click on your whatsapp and send this podcast to five of your mates who you think might actually enjoy the podcast uh, secondly go on to Apple Podcasts website and go and rate and review. It really does help people find the podcast after quite a long stint away. So please go do those two things for me right now. Uh, I'm happy to wait. I mean, I've been away for about six months. I'm in no hurry, really. Let's face it. 
help me get the news back out there that this podcast is back because i'm sure people have gone away and just thought well liam's gone uh let's delete this podcast but i'm back tell your mates tell your friends and please support the podcast right that's enough of that i i I talk more about myself in my interview uh with my guest who is the originator of punk podcasts in the uk his name is mr matt stocks For the people who might not know who Matt is, uh, let me give you his lowdown. So Matt is a DJ. He's a radio and TV presenter, having worked on Kerrang! and Scuzz TV, respectively. But he will be best known for his chart-topping podcast, Life in Stocks, where he's spoken to guests such as Fat Mike, John Lydon, Tom Morello, Tommy Lee, and Gene Simmons, just to name a few. And at the start of the year, he released a book of the same name of the podcast, Life in Stocks. The book is a selection of Matt's favourite conversations that he's had over the 200 episodes that he he has done for his podcast Uh, the book is available wherever you get your your usual books if you can't find it just do a google or go on the episode description of this podcast and there is a link to his book so i met up with matt at the start of the month in glorious london sunshine where we had a long open chat on various subject matters such as creating podcasts and the work that goes into dealing with that we also discussed troublesome guest, <coughs> Brian Fallon. Uh, we discussed the rise of celebrities and comedians moving to the podcast sector and oversaturating the market. And I opened up about the feeling, a sense of competitiveness between his podcast, Life in Stocks, and mine, Punks in Pubs. It does take us a while, but we do eventually touch on the subject of punk, where Matt talks about his love and ad- admiration for no effects and how that band was not only his gateway into punk but also guided him into the ethos of what punk rock is about matt also opens up about his relationship with uh, drinks and drugs and how a terrible accident brought on by drinking sent him on a path of thinking about life in a more spiritual way i won't lie this is a fucking long chat uh i think i was just excited that i was actually talking to someone actually at a pub for a very long time also helps that matt is just a really cool dude and is an easy guy to have a natter with for people who are joining for the first time usually i try and keep the podcast to about an hour this is knocking on two uh, so i would probably recommend that you try and do this in uh, two sittings don't try and do it all unless you're really hardcore because that's just it's, it's hard you know just trying to concentrate for two hours on a conversation fuck if you can do it let me know and i will send you a sticker there you go if you listen to this podcast in one sitting let me know on instagram twitter or facebook at punks and pubs and i will send you a punks and pubs sticker as a uh, as a congratulation prize i need to shut up i'm actually i'm contributing more to the length of it uh, but before i do go when listening back i realized i'm speaking very very fast Um, I think it's a bit of ring rust, so please excuse that. But let's crack on now. It's good to be back, and I hope you enjoy my chat with Matt Stocks. I like the long handle. It's nice. You like a bit of length? Yeah. Yeah. I like a bit of length. It's a little bit thin for my liking, but... Hey man. Length, length counteracts. Let's let's not be shaming. <laughs> let's not be shaming for already. You know, uh, we are sat outside in a pub, outside of a pub. Yeah, Matt. Fuck. 
we've survived the pandemic. We've survived well, the pandemic. On, but the pubs are back open. Um, I've been DJing the last few weeks for the first time in a year and a half, and it's been not quite the rebirth of culture and entertainment and nightlife that I was hoping for. It's a little bit slower than I anticipated and expected, but. It's good to be out and about. It's great to be doing a face-to-face podcast. This is only my second time doing this this year. So um, thank you for inviting me on your amazing show. Pleasure, man. Thank you for the Guinness. This is that. So today begins after this, of course. Cheers to you. Cheers to you, man. Today begins a two-month sober kick for me. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Are you a, a kind of store it up now and then it doesn't really count? Or are you like, I'll go for the one and then that's it? Well, I wasn't going to drink at all, but then I thought I can't appear on punks and pubs and not have a pint with you. And um, yeah, I'm in the process of writing my second book at the moment. So I'm up against the deadline and I'm aware that the next sort of six weeks are going to be very busy with that. So I've set myself the goal of a two month sober stretch. Basically, when the book's done, yep. then I'll pick up another glass and, and toast the completion of that. But yeah, so this will be for me the last pint for a while, unless we have a second during the show. Oh, there's always time <laughs> for a second. So, OK, we're going to talk about the book in a second. Well, I'm going to say newish book. Your book's been out, I think, the start of the year, correct? Came out December 1st. And I think with books, like, it's funny because when records come out, bands seem to do like you know a week's promo around the release and then it's over like labels just seem to think as soon as the album's out like the campaign's done and, and that's always been really interesting for me because like well you just spent a year making this thing there's a guy with a parrot on his shoulder right there that you is see everything um, in this town yeah <laughs> um but with books i've been told by my publisher that a book can be out for up to 18 months and it still be considered new yeah. and so interviews and, and promotional stuff centered around books can go on for as long as 18 months so i'd say in the book world it's still new it's been out eight months to the day to the exact day so because we were meant to do this when february january yeah, it was around when I was doing the promo for the book, um, which was January, February of this year, yeah. And then you obviously took a break from the show. I did, yeah. Which I completely understand. Sometimes, you know, when these things are unpaid and, and they're a labour of love, sometimes you've got to get your head straight and take care of yourself. Well, that's kind of the question I was going to ask you, actually, because you took a break from your podcast as well, but then you also had the focus of the book. Did you find that, why? I don't know why you took a break from the podcast. You, when you came back, you did it spectacularly with Fat Mike. Mm-hmm. And you kind of spoke about, well, I haven't really taken a break. I've been doing a shit ton of interviews and kind of backing them up. But were you doing that because, like, the idea of doing a book, doing a podcast, and then obviously trying to grind against a COVID pandemic? Yeah. Were you like, I, I know my boundaries and I need to stop it there? No, it was more, I'd done 200 episodes and I like to do 100 episodes per series. So I'd done 200 and I just thought in the interest of trying to keep the show fresh, I'd just take a break um, at 200, spend two months recording a ton of interviews and then relaunch in, in March, March 1st with Fat Mike. So yeah, it was more just kind of like supply and demand kind of thing. Like I wanted to hit pause just so that people were reminded, um, oh, I quite enjoy the show and I've missed it. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes it's good to hit the brakes and just go, do I still want to do this? Yes. Do people still want to hear it? Yes. All right. Then let's come back after a little break, stronger than ever. And um, yeah, just I felt regrouped and like reignited and excited about the show again. Because sometimes, as you know, even though it's an amazing 
privileged position to be in getting to sit down and talk with I don't include myself in this but your heroes right <laughs> you know when you're interviewing people who you've grown up you know listening to their you bands got pitch, and... I've got pictures of you all over right? <laughs> this, since this is, the teens yeah this is going to be creepy <laughs> as fuck for you and um, but it can still you know like anything even the best jobs in the world and this this, this isn't a job but well I guess it kind of is for me but um, even the best jobs in the world can get tiresome and cumbersome and draining because it's a grind you know it's a real hustle and everybody i think who isn't in it will look at it and go oh well you do is talk to rock stars and you know what a dos and it's like well yeah but it's hard work and it can be quite emotionally and mentally and spiritually dare i say uh, exhausting at times so how much effort do you put into an interview there are you kind of uh, researching past episodes of other people's podcasts and other interviews and go okay that's interesting i will take my own spin on that and create it myself or are you i know you i'm gonna rock up and just talk off my head i'm the former yeah i will spend on average two days re- researching for each interview and that's like you know days and nights yeah. so if it's a musician i'll listen to every album they've ever put out if they've got an autobiography out i'll read that um and then yeah i'll listen to them on other podcasts watch them on you know youtube interviews and try and find gaps where I think there's questions which haven't been asked. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because a lot of the time, it's the same kind of questions coming up, especially if artists are doing interviews around new albums. You know, yeah. a lot of the time, those interviews are centered around the new record. I always try and avoid that and just do, like, the full, broad, you know, life story. Um, and so I think the best way to do that and get inside their heads is to, you know, source everything that's out there and try and consume as much as possible. But what I don't do is write questions. So I'll kind of liken it. It's like cram revising for an exam. So I just spend two days soaking in everything, taking it all in, but I won't have any set list of questions. What I'll do is just feel like I'm prepped and researched and ready to go. So then in the moment, whatever comes up, I know I can pull from that bank of knowledge and information that's in my head. And like cram revising for an exam, the minute the interview's done, all those facts are gone. Do you know what I mean? Like if you said to me now, like, what's the third no effects album? I'd have to think and go, I don't actually know. Uh, Ribbed. There you go. Um, but, yeah, all that information is ready and kind of in there for the interview. And then the minute the interview's done, it's over. See, I, <laughs> On to I, the next. I struggle so much with that because I, I don't know if it's something to do with my dyslexia or, or whatnot. I need guidance. Like, if I'm talking to someone, I will just lose control because I've never been a presenter. My background before doing the podcast was I was a producer. I made documentaries. So I was always the guy feeding the questions to the other guy, but I always had a sheet. And so you know how to conduct an interview, you just hadn't necessarily done it yourself, yeah? Exactly, but I don't... This is the weird thing. I like Punks in Pubs came about because it was a, uh, a thing to help me through a mental breakdown, essentially. I was doing documentaries, work slowed up. You'll know this as a freelancer, work slowed up. And when you're a freelancer, when you've got work, you, you just always accept it, no matter what. You just mm-hmm. keep fucking doing it. You never have a holiday. I thought I was at the top of my mountain and then all of a sudden everything stopped. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Why has this just stopped? And then I no work was coming. And then I had to do other jobs. Like um, there's an Iceland in front of us, but I ended up working in a shop. And there's nothing wrong with doing shop work. But when you were going to fucking New Orleans to do a documentary with one of my comedian heroes, Rich Hall, and then all of a sudden you're stocking shelves, you're like, what the fuck happened? So Punks and Pubs for me came as like a as a way of kind of soothing that itch of audio that I've always loved. And I've never gone back to making documentaries, but I've, I've kind of settled with it and I'm very happy and I love my job that I've got now. Um, but the idea of presenting scared the shit out of me and I only did it because I, I thought, well, I want to be creative, so therefore let's do something. Now, I am leading this into a question for yourself. You went to university and you studied 
English literature, correct? English with film, yeah. English with film. Sorry, I wasn't doing a dramatic pause That's there right. for the listeners. I was just lighting a cigarette. <laughs> um, yeah, I did English with film, and I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to you know, write screenplays. And then what happened was I started doing a community radio show in Exeter, and I realized very quickly that talking is a lot easier than writing. You know, with writing, you have to do rewrites and proofreads yeah. and edits, and it's a long process. With talking, you just spurt shit out your mouth, and then it's done. You know, there's no revising it because it's, it's already expelled from your mouth, and you can't take it back. So I actually just found that I could express myself in the same way, and it was less work. It was really just like laziness on my part. <laughs> so then it timed beautifully with the launch of Kerrang! Radio in Birmingham, which is where I'm from. So when I graduated, I stayed in Exeter for a year trying to make it down there. Things didn't work out, so I moved back home. And that coincided with the launch of Kerrang! And I was like, well, I, I know about rock music. I've been doing a bit of radio. I've been DJing for a few years now. I'm going to write to them and see if they want, you know, like an intern. And sure enough, a friend of mine from college, and really, like, it doesn't matter how good you are, this is a great example of how it really is who you know. Yeah. And I'm not from, like, a connected family or a well-to-do family or anything like that, but if you just know somebody who can open that door, you still got to have the skills to pay the bills, but as long as you can get that door open through that contact, your chances of getting in there, you know, are drastically increased. So my friend from college's older brother had just started hosting the evening show on Kerrang! So I wrote to him, I was like, I know your brother, we went to the same school, we didn't know each other, but, you know, we had a lot of same friendship groups and stuff, and... Um, Sorry if the cars are coming past and being noisy, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's all good. I mean, like, like, like punks and pubs is meant to be rough around the edges and uh, not as clean as crisp. So it's all good, man. Um, and he said, yeah, come in and, and meet. So I, I met him. We got on straight away and I ended up doing a week with him. And that was just before Christmas in 2009. And then I was on a train to Bristol for New Year's Eve. Uh, and he called me and he said, do you want to come and start working for me full time next week? It'll be unpaid for you know as long as it needs to be but he said once you're there and in the building the first job that comes up is yours so i ended up doing 10 months full-time unpaid interning at kerrang producing this evening show for this guy henry evans who trained me up taught me everything that i knew then um i've evolved since then you'd like to think in 10 years of doing it but he was really the guy that like showed me the ropes and you know supported me in my infancy in, in this game and um a year later, exactly a year later, he left the show because he'd gotten married. He decided that he didn't want to do an evening show anymore because he wanted more time with his wife. And so the program director, James Walsh, shout out to James Walsh, he took me to the side and he said, how do you feel about taking over the show? And I was like, I feel pretty good about that. <laughs> but do you, do you think I'm up to it? Because I hadn't really done any hosting i'd done like the odd weekend cover shift but that was it and he was like yeah you know the show nobody knows it better than you i've been listening to this community station you've been doing it sounds great let's put you on air so a year to the day after i started as an intern i was given the show and that's how quickly it happened so have you always found it easy to strike a conversation like are you that guy when people walk into a bar or a pub or, or um, a party and they don't know anyone and you're just sat there are you the guy who like how you doing man you're good tell me a story has that always been what you've been like, or, you, or did you grow into that person? Yeah, I've always been an extrovert, yeah. and I've always been sociable. Um, I always like to kind of try and connect with people as well. That's always been something that I've felt an urge to do, understand people and their stories since a kid, really. I think because I grew up watching a lot of films. I'd watch westerns with my dad and musicals with my mum and just loved stories. And I think that's what these are, you know. It's about connection and talking, but really it's about trying to understand and learn someone's journey. 
And so I look at it as just another form of storytelling. And so people just fascinate me, especially the people that we get to speak to for shows like this, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm always just like, tell me your story. Like, and I'm not afraid to ask what some people might perceive as like those difficult questions. You know, there's certainly been times when I've asked people things and somebody's listened to it and gone, I can't believe you asked them that. But for me, I think when you're on a mic, it's almost like a caveat, like a carte blanche, whatever the phrase is, like a free pass yeah. to ask them anything. Um, so I take advantage of that, not in a you know mal- malicious way, but I just think, well, you've agreed to do this, you've signed on to divulge all, so I'm not going to you know uh, overlook. Well, two things are either going to happen: they're either going to stop the interview, or uh-huh. you're going to carry on. And if they stop the interview, fuck it, like you've already got a little bit, just release that, and then you, you go, well, I asked this question, he was clearly a cunt. You move on, you know? Well, thankfully, I've never had that. I've never had an interview be pulled. But, um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, if they don't want to answer it, they just go, next, you know? Well, it's interesting, actually, because um, you actually have had the same kind of interaction with a, a same guy that I've had, and that's Brian Fallon of Gaslight oh, okay. Anthems. Because did, did you hear my chat with him? I did. And it was, inter- it was right. funny because, actually, I when I used to work in the Radio 1 Punk Rock show, I went for Mike and you do those interviews where you set up the question and they, they do like a self-contained answer so you're never in the question yeah I was with him and um, uh, um, Chuck Reagan love Chuck nicest fucking guy yeah, in the world the greatest. Yeah. and he's that kind of guy who will remember you as well mm-hmm. and he's got that kind of like fucking memory anyway so I was in the room with him and Chuck and um, I was started asking him about because he was there on the revival tour yeah which needs to come back by the way fucking love that tour um and he sat there with chuck and he i asked him so you're here on your own what's next for gaslight anthems and it was like 2011 right and so, so just after the hurt record was it exactly yeah. and he's like or get hurt I mean. yeah and he's like i don't know i'm like okay like but like is there another album are you like how long are you waiting or are you just gonna do solo stuff right now i don't know like, okay, so, you're telling me you've never thought about that. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. No, but, that's what I'm saying. Like Brian, you telling me that you don't, you honestly don't know. Well, what I did, I was like, okay, I'm getting nothing from you, but that might be because you're like, who the fuck is this guy asking these questions? So I was like, okay, what I'm going to do, I'm going to change the dynamic. Chuck, you interview Brian. Brian, you interview Chuck. So then Brian's like, I don't have any questions. I was like, well, here you go. Here's my question. So Brian, sorry, Chuck, here's my question. So Chuck starts answering the questions to Brian. And then Brian answers them because he's not going to be rude to Chuck. Mm-hmm. So that happened to you in your podcast when you spoke to him. You asked him about Gaslight Anthems. Yeah. And he just, he just seems to shut down. And it's, you can tell that moment as well. And it's interesting because when the interview starts, he's really chatty. And he's trying to, like, bro down with me over, like, Anglophile stuff, right? Yeah. So he's like, you notice how I called it a bin and not a trash can? And I'm like, cool. <laughs> and we're talking about Oasis, and we're getting on really well. And I'm like, this is going to be a great interview. And then, yeah, Gaslight Anthem. And he just, like, physically, not just conversationally, but physically shut down before my eyes. So I started asking about, like, identity politics and gender issues. And, like, to- and he was like, well, this is a bit off topic. And I literally said to him, as you've heard, I was like, well, you weren't getting into what I was asking you before. So I thought I'd take it in a new direction. He's like, oh, OK. Awkward man. Um, but then what's really interesting is, like, two years later, Gaslight Anthem are back together. <laughs> and they're doing a, a, um, a 59 sound re- re- um, anniversary, anniversary tour. And I was like, hilarious. 50 pounds a ticket. Uh, no doubt. Fuck I mean, you know, I don't want to slag anyone off, but yeah, he's definitely the most awkward man I've interviewed for my podcast. Mm. But I 
you know, I don't edit, and I say that's one of the things about my show that when you come in, there's no tweaks, there's no altercation, uh, alteration. Sorry, nothing's taken out. I play it out as it happened, and yeah, I let that awkwardness unfold. But I did think at the end we did reach a you know kind of interesting conversation, but it did take a lot of work to get there. This isn't slagging off of a podcast, but you've been doing loads of other people's podcasts. You would have done face-to-face ones. You would have done interviews. Without naming names, I guarantee you've gone into an interview and they're... As a, the interviewee. As the interviewee. Yeah. And you've gone, okay, let's just play this game. And that's the same thing for any other artist. Like, you have to play the game of, I've been asked, how's the tour going? A thousand times, but I'm always going to answer the same question. So with your book, did you... Because you know the other side, interestingly, like, and, and now you're the interviewee. How quickly did you adapt to that? And did you ever go, you know what would be a better question? <laughs> Just ask this. What I do in that situation... Um, Don't do it now, because my ego can't take it. You're the <laughs> no, first person no. I've had back since this podcast This start. is great. I've, oh, really? Well, what an honour. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, what I do in that situation, and first of all, it's a huge honour to be asked by anyone to be on their show, because who am I, really? Um, and I did do loads around the book and there were a couple that you know just kind of like inexperienced young upcoming kind of people who maybe weren't the best interviewers but their intentions were pure Mm. and that's the thing is if the person who's chatting to you has done their research and knows your story then to be rude to that person I think would just be a you know an indication of your character and not a good one so in that situation all I do is like almost take over the interview and start asking them questions because I want to make it interesting for them as much as for me so I kind of just turn it and then you know make them feel more comfortable and at ease but it's interesting because you you only get good at something by doing it a lot it's like everything in life nobody there's a, a few tiny examples to that rule um you know like born stars a few and far between but most people it's kind of like you need to do a thousand hours of whatever it is before you get good and i just understand that certain people haven't been doing it as long so you give them that pass and hope that they get better over time (laughs) so how did you find it then being the person who's on the other end because i've been asked to do podcasts and i've turned all but one down and i only did one because i actually really like her fucking podcast and that's mabel syndrome if anyone's listening um like because i feel like you need to come with anecdotes and i don't have i'm not like i have a background but it's not one i really want to share publicly so, I mean, how did you adapt to that? Were there things where you're like, these are offline and I'm just not going to talk about it, even though you're quite open in your podcast? Were you shocked by a question where someone's gone, like, asked you a question, you're like, where the fuck did you find that? And, like, now I need to kill you because that can never come out ever. <laughs> no, with me, I'm an open book, man. Nothing, nothing's off limits with me. Ask me anything and I'll give an honest answer. Um, and anecdote wise, I didn't really realize how many I had until I started doing them because I'm not somebody who sits around telling stories as much as I like chatting to people. I'm not somebody who goes on and on about all the things I've done. All right, mate? Ready? Yeah. Yeah, of course, man. (laughs) 
So uh, Matt is now holding a dog <laughs> while Gent goes to have a piss. And what's fun about the dog, I saw the dog come across. And I was like, has this dog got false teeth in? She seems to like me. Scarily, how easy dogs don't give a shit and they'll just adapt <laughs> to the situation. Me now, she wouldn't mind, would she? <laughs> yeah, anecdote-wise, I didn't realise how many I had uh, until I started being asked stuff. And then you start telling stories and then you start realising... And I certainly had a few moments of, of kind of penny dropping like that when I was doing all these podcasts where I was like, wow, I've actually done quite a lot of cool stuff and, and been involved in quite a few funny situations. <laughs> you know, this being at the small end of that scale. But I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of person, and every girl I've ever been in a relationship with has noted this, characters and kooks and, and weirdos are drawn to me like flies to shit. I don't know whether they see a kindred spirit or what it is, but I can't go anywhere without having something like this happen to me. You notice how it came to me and not yeah, you. No, Do you right. like, it's just, I don't know, I'm a magnet for that stuff, but I embrace it. I love strange people, and I, maybe I'm one of them. I must be, because they certainly like hanging out with me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about like kind of being a strange person then, because at the start of your book, you spoke about the fact that we are product of our environment growing yeah. up. But you never really went into it a little bit about your environment and, yeah. and the product of yourself. So were you growing up, did you grow up in a family that were full of extroverts who were always quite chatty? Or did you grow up in an environment where about music wasn't played, it wasn't on the radio, no one spoke about music? I mean, what, what is your upbringing? Wow. So my earliest memories is just film, as I mentioned earlier, watching a lot of movies with my mum and dad, but very different movies. With was the, that going with, to the cinema or was that just at home? It was everything. Yeah. It was cinema trips, but also... There you go, mate. See you, bud. Cheers, man. Bye. Um, it was, yeah, my first cinema trip was The Little Mermaid, and that instilled in me a lifelong fear of the sea, still to yeah. this day. Like, if I'm on a boat in the middle of nowhere, I'm not diving off that boat to go swimming. Do you know how some people go on, like, on these little yachts and they're diving off and swimming in the ocean? You wouldn't get me in there. But did it um, bring the love of reggae into your life, though? It, well, it's certainly Sebastian the Crab is one <laughs> hell of a guy. He was sort of my first musical hero, you might say, actually, yeah. under the sea. Tune. Great song, man. Um, but, yeah, my, my childhood was wild, to be honest. Like... Um, my parents got divorced when I was pretty young and that you know kind of that sets the tone for your adult life then because you've got a broken template of what a relationship is and it's taken me a long time to try and unpack a lot of that stuff and it's only in more it's only really in the last year of, of lo- lockdown and self-reflection that I've kind of really dealt with a lot of those childhood trauma issues that I left buried and unresolved for so many years just by going out partying and I found quickly that I could escape the stark reality of my home life by going out and getting drunk with my friends when I was a kid, going to gigs. So concerts for me from the age of about 13 were really like kind of Wizard of Oz fantasy escape, you know, into that foreign land of make-believe. And I would go to the shows and forget about all my woes back home for that night. So you go to shows at 13? Yeah, my first gig was when I was 13 in uh, Wolverhampton, Wolf and Civic Hall, and it was uh, One Minute Silence and Mudvayne co-headliner and what was funny is my friend josh bought acid from this guy um he was 13 as well and then he took it in school the next day and it was our christmas concert and i I was playing in a band that i was in i was singing and we did killing in the name by rage limp biscuit faith and deftones board and my head of year mrs pie was like um there's not any swear words in any of the songs you're going to be performing today, is there, Matthew? And I was like, no, 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 no swear words, miss. There I am. Fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. <laughs> 16 times over. And I'm looking out into the crowd. My friend Josh was taller than everybody else in our year at that time, till partying stunted his growth and we all caught up. But when we were in 
year seven, 13, he was you know, quite a bit taller than everybody else. And all I could see, we were in the gym, everybody was sat on the floor. All I could see was his head popping out above everybody else's heads, eyes bulging out of his skull because he's on acid in school, side parting, and he's just like screaming out and heckling me. And I was just in tears, like thinking, what kind of a friendship circle am I running with? Um, and he remains to this day one of my dearest friends, a total maniac. Um, and yeah, he was kind of my running partner for a lot of the you know, misspent years, let's say, of my teenage adolescence, which was at home, as I said, pretty bleak. But I think what that did for me was show me that life can be cruel and tough and hard, but you can still enjoy yourself. And if anything, you've got to enjoy yourself because it's short and it's, you know, it's going to beat you down if you let it. So I think that was kind of what made me the lust for life kind of free spirit that I am was an awareness early on that, we all go through heartache and pain but we can't live in that space we've got to go out and seize the day and experience life and have fun and make memories and make the best of a bad situation so you a single child child of two i had a sister who died when she was about a month old yeah it's a really sad story and um, she was born with a disease and she died when she was yeah like a few weeks old um so she was three years younger than me um and then my sister helena uh, who is here thank god um she's seven years younger so they had me they had my sister julie who passed away and then they had my sister helena and, and that death was really what caused all the um the bad stuff at home really um my mum after that never never recovered still to this day hasn't um and suffered from extreme bipolar as a result of that i think it was in her genes and you know her family kind of line is littered with with those kind of casualties and that was the moment that brought it out in her and then my dad you know just struggled to cope with losing his child and then losing his wife to that awful disease so yeah it was rough really rough but what's cool is that um they are the happiest divorce couple in the world they live together um so they they divorce split up separated for many years and then when covid hit um, they moved in together and spent all of lockdown together because they didn't want to be alone. And when I left London, I originally moved back in with my mum. And then I was like, as much as I love being here, it's quite a small house. And I'm trying to record podcasts, write my book, you know, do all this stuff. And I just didn't have the space in the place to get the work done. And so I very cheekily asked my dad if I could go and spend like half the week out at his house. And he said, just take my house for as long as you need it, son. And so I've been living at my dad's since January the 1st, and he has been living with my mum that whole time. So it's as much as there's been a lot of hardship and, like, you know, bad stuff, I love my family so much, and I am who I am today because of them. And actually now we're in a really cool place of... There's been a lot of healing that's been going on this year, and we're all so close and so tight and so happy, and um, it's kind of come full circle in a really beautiful and profound way. And, um, yeah, I love them so much. Is it weird though, like that now your your parents are not back together but living under the same roof? Is it weird just going, oh, there's mum, there's dad, having a coffee? Because we're adults now, we know people have urges. Yeah, I, I, they don't share a room. I do know that, unless they only do that for my benefit and they're secretly <laughs> shagging like rabbits. Um, no, it's not weird for me at all. It's weird for everybody who I tell because it is a weird, unique situation, and I I completely understand that, but. 
yeah, for me it is not weird in the slightest because it's you know my family is weird and I, <laughs> I'm weird and it yeah it, I never give it any thought or trip out on it at all. If anything, I'm just really stoked that they've both got each other and they were willing to realize that they weren't meant to be together as a couple. However, they've sort of morphed now into like platonic life partners. And that's fucking beautiful because how often does that happen? Mm. You know, most people who are married and sleeping in bedrooms together hate each other, you know, and they resent each other. Um, Whereas my parents are not in love, but they love each other and they're happy in each other's company. Um, And it's in its own weird way, it does reignite and instill in me a, a hope that, you know, we can all find happiness. It just sometimes comes in strange forms. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it's funny, you know, you say about that because like my mum had like a a Willy Wonka kind of situation. Whereabouts my my mum never admitted to being gay, but she hundred percent was because she was sharing a bed with with this woman called Michaela. But she was like, we're just friends, we're just friends. And Up she until never, what age? Oh, I was from seven to fifteen. Fifteen, she was still saying uh, we're still friends. Wow. And then it was like, well, clearly you're gay. But you just don't want to have this conversation with me. That's fine. Did uh, you ever ask her? Uh, yeah. She still says no. Really? Still? Yeah. And is she still sleeping with the woman? <laughs> no, no. She's, she's, now with, she's now with a dude. Right. There's some guy. It's just, so, so it's just a, a period in her life. I think so, yeah. I think she just, like, she got fucked over by my dad. She's like, okay, I want someone to care for me. So... I've seen that happen, man. I've seen that happen a few times in my life, and I completely understand it, because let's be honest, dudes can be dicks. So can women. They can, but it's a different kind (laughs) of um, energy, you know. And I do believe that the masculine and the feminine energies are different and they are distinct. Although there's people who blur those lines, I do believe that, you know, we are like men are from Venus, women are from Mars. That's a a fact of life. And so I can understand as a woman, if you've been heartbroken by a guy, you associate that pain with that kind of toxic masculinity, if you will. So I understand that urge to rush to the the bosom of the feminine. Um, that's Nicely a trip. That's the, that's the, that was, so that was a fluke. That was a fluke. <laughs> and then they, as you say, go through that time and then go, no, I do actually like guys. I just needed that time to heal in the comfort of somebody who's the same sex and gets my experience. If I'm honest, I do think she's bisexual. I just don't think she's at an age. She's now 60-something. I just don't think she understands bisexuality. And like, that's never been a world... Like different her. generation yeah, isn't it exactly. yeah completely um, that's amazing dude we're about half an hour in and we haven't talked about punk and people are like <laughs> this is the first episode since we're back and people are like right, let's get this to is it. taking a fucking weird turn <laughs> just talking about gender and shit um, so we <laughs> like yourself and shit and shit I've got a really good shit story that I'll end the podcast with I, I look forward to that and it best be uh, worthy because if it's not it it's is. getting cut it's brilliant okay um, if you don't hear it it didn't make the cut <laughs> um, so you spoke about in your book um, Life in Stocks by the way I, I didn't plug it so so there it is um, same name as the podcast so you spoke about New Boobs being mm-hmm. the song that kind of introduced well that's the perfect segue you. oh mate sometimes things just happen from bosoms to bosoms to bosoms to bosoms but I'm kind of interested because a lot of people of our generation are about roughly the same age 35 I'm I'm 37 now so there we go yeah most people it's dookie it's always dookie whenever I do this interview with people our age dookie's the one why did dookie pass you by why why was it not the one that kind of introduced you 
I think it was just age. I think I would see kids with Green Day t-shirts and Nirvana t-shirts, but bearing in mind when Nevermind came out in 91, I was five, so too young for that. And then Dookie, I was eight. And so I saw it, but, you know, I didn't get into punk till I was 13. Nimrod was actually the album for me from Green Day, which I loved. I didn't actually listen to Dookie all the way through till I was an adult. I was like 18, 19. Nimrod was the one that I fucking loved. But, yeah, they just never hit me in that same way. Same with Offspring. Even the same with Rancid early on. I adore Rancid now, and they're probably my favorite band to watch live because they're just fucking unstoppable. But there's something about the cocktail of comedy self-deprecation politics intelligence and like true alternativeness about no effects that just all of it together spoke to me on every level i was like this is exactly my worldview distilled and what was interesting about new boobs is it's you know it's kind of like a jazz song you know and that was what i was like hey that was why it was so interesting like dookie's all fairly straightforward three chord punk rock right new boobs is like swing Uh, and i was like so this is punk you can do that and and that eureka moment like liberated me more than i can ever really express it was just that absolute like light bulb moment of oh this is freedom of expression this is going against the grain this is doing the unexpected this is not giving a fuck this is taking the piss this is having fun but trying to make some intelligent statements along the way and at the same time south park was just kind of getting big and they were exactly the same. Yeah. What, I've never kept up with South Park, and I you know, certainly haven't watched it in a decade or more, but at that time as a teenager formulating your personality, both Trey Parker and Matt Stone and Fat Mike had this brilliant approach to parody and satire where nobody was off limits, so they'd go after the left wing as much as the right. And if, if you're a hypocrite, you're getting called out. It doesn't matter what politics you align with. And I loved that because I still feel that way today. Like, if you're a hypocrite or an asshole, you know, whether you're left or right, I'm coming after you. And I adored that about them. So where did that take you then? So, like, for me, when I discovered... I discovered NoFX by accident. I was at a record store. I saw Heavy Petting Zoo. What I a s- cover. Right? And I mean, it was, and it was the cover, was the cover that took you. me. I was like, okay, let's grab this album. And I, Not a good album, though. It's no, it's one. not. Well, I was going to say, like, because if you're going from New Boobs and then maybe finding S&M Airlines... Which is also not a great album. A, it, yeah. Well, it's not. It's shit. <laughs> it's a shit album. It's not as bad as liberal animation, though. <laughs> that is the true stinker. But, I mean, so where did you go from No Effects to? Like, was it a sidestep to Rancid or Descendants or Bad Religion? It was the live album. It was the No Effects live album. And the reason I bought that is because we were assigned a piece of homework in music, which was basically to find your favorite record cover and draw a a picture of it. Um, So it's kind of art and music combined. Weird. So I'm in HMV. And what was interesting is I'd see No Effects like spray painted on the walls at school. And I'd see it around the place, but I didn't know what it meant until my friend Sam, who I talk about in, in the book, was singing New Boobs in a maths class. And I was like, who's that? And he's like, No Effects. So I went to HMV and I was like, I'm going to buy a No Effects record for this assignment. And I just liked the coupe art, the cartoon cover for the live album. And what that had, as much as the songs, was the bits in between the songs, their stage banter. That's what hooked me in. And really, I just spent years just on that lane alone. Um, and then I sidestepped to the fat compilations and the punkorama compilations. How important were they? Like, Huge. You don't, you don't get those kind of compilations anymore. Like, like, well, they're Spotify playlists now, right? But exactly. yeah, pre-internet, yeah. that was the way you'd find out about TSOL, Guttermouth, Vandals, yeah. all those bands. you just hear that one song and be like, oh my God, who's this band? I'm going to go out and buy an album by them. And um, I guess in the punk world, 
the other big bands Pennywise are a big one the Straight Ahead album yeah love that record um, Bad Religion to an extent but none of them could touch no effect I just kind of got stuck in that groove um, Weezer I also adored growing up and ACDC they were my top three bands then and they still are now interestingly because a lot of the time we grow out of the music that we listened to a lot when we were kids right but those three bands for me remain like my all time top three but yeah what happened next really was the kind of historical rabbit hole dive um, and who helped you in that like who helped you like the internet filter it really internet, yeah, yeah. It was, as, as I got to college I never had the internet at home um, I never had like MSN or MySpace or any of that but when I got to college I started using it for you know assignments and I found that you could like basically well I think Wikipedia was around then at university and I'd just type in punk into Wikipedia and then you'd go oh The Clash The Sex Pistols Buzzcocks X-Ray Specs Ramones and that was really where I stayed for about six years and I missed emo as an entire movement and I'm happy about that because you know I've got no interest in it to this day but as all of that My Chemical Romance the used explosion was taking place between about 2005 to 2009 I missed it all because I was just listening to Ramones and the Stooges and MC5 and Devo and I just got obsessed with that kind of the CBGB's New York scene and then the London 77 scene and and that was my musical diet for five years just non-stop and then from there I went even further back to like 60s garage rock um, and then 50s rock and roll like right back to the start because for me I always say this Little Richard for me is as punk rock as any motherfucker who ever lived like a black gay cross-dressing rock and roller in the deep south of America in conservative 1950s singing a Wop Bomba Bop and a Wop Bamboo. <laughs> like, it doesn't get more dangerous than that. Gonna tell and Mary Bond, Uncle John, he claimed he had the music, but he had a lot of fun. Oh, baby, yes, baby, woo, baby, have me some fun tonight, yeah. Well, no talk, sound of cheap, Bill Sweet, you got everything that Uncle John need, oh, was a fucking wild animal so that was kind of my journey through music was no effects and then tracing the fruit all the way back to the root um and still to this day that is my favorite kind of spectrum of sounds 50s rock and roll 60s garage rock 70s punk and then that kind of 90s american skate punk scene so you're discovering the music and and the thing that i love about punk is that it's not only the music it is everything else that comes with it so the diy ethics of it the, the idea of staying true to yourself not selling out like who taught you about that like who was the person who's going right okay you, you're enjoying this but here's everything else that's gonna come with it because as a your pod I, mean, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass but your podcast please do <laughs> <laughs> your podcast is like the podcast for for punk music and not even punk music like just having good interviews like I know you spoke about how Mark Maron has influenced you as a podcaster but like you are the Mark Maron of music podcasts because you were there early doors you were there when it was just starting out and we'll, we'll talk about podcasting in the future in a second but like you grasped onto it, you used all your history of doing your radio, used your contacts smartly, you, you've, with, with your interviews as well for Kerrang and I think Metal Hammer as well, right? And Scuzz TV for a bit, yeah. There you go. So like you, you, you were there when really people started paying attention to podcasting. So like I'm going to guess your punk ethos must have crept in when people were coming around you and going hey, how would you mind if we sponsored the podcast? Or how would you mind if we threw this thing at you? Like, did your punk ethos go, 
I can't do that. Even though I want to, I, I just can't. Because this is, the, this is what I've been taught from day dot. I mean, who taught you that? And is that something you still play along with? And is it something that is still ingrained in you? Well, first of all, you telling me that my show is like the Mark Maron of podcast world is the greatest, sorry, punk music podcast. That's the greatest compliment I've ever been given. Well, I did see the table rise up a little bit. Yeah. So clearly I, I excited you. You did, man. And yeah. that, that means the world, genuinely, from somebody like yourself who understands the music and the format of podcasting. Um, that's the goal. That is exactly what I want my show to be. Mm. That's the benchmark and the touchstone. So thank you so much for that. Um, high praise. Um, it was Fat Mike. Yeah. Again, like, you know, people trash talk that guy to high heaven, but what could be more authentic and independent than being your label boss and your own boss and being complete? The only band that didn't sell out to a major label, the only band Green Day did, Offspring did, Rancid did, Bad Religion, even Bad Religion did, all of them did. No effects were the one band that went, now we're good. They didn't have singles, they didn't have music videos, they just, they didn't even do interviews for about nine years. Like before my podcast i'd spent 10 years trying to get an interview with mike for kerrang for scars for metal for all of it and he just would not do interviews he did a bit around the time of the not my president george bush yep. attacks um rocky just against bush, rocky against stuff, bush right. just to speak out against him and use his platform but before then he did none and then after that he dropped away again and that dude for me is my absolute hero in every regard creatively but also just in the way he conducts his business and chuck from the caddy said a really cool thing to me which is like mike likes coming up with new and inventive and creative ways of making money and he shares the profits with his employees his peers and i love that about him you know and he's the one guy that i've seen in that scene who's stuck to his guns done it his own way takes all the shit that he gets but really never gets i think the praise or credit he deserves for staying true and staying independent um and so that spirit yeah is like at the absolute core of not even just my podcast but my life um and it helps that i have quite a lot of contempt and disdain for the media industry and and the way that a lot of journalists and presenters conduct themselves um and they'll be online saying, you know, I love this and I'm all about this. But then the minute they're offered a show on some other cheesy station, they'll take the gig in a second. Like, mm. I've come across so many people who will sell their soul for the right check or even not the right check, a check. Um, and to my detriment, perhaps, I've always been the kind of guy that integrity comes first for me at the expense of an income and security and, you know, like the fruits of my labor which i still don't feel i've quite accumulated or achieved but what i have done is maintained my connection to that culture and tried to be an island onto myself and lead by example if i can be so bold and what was really nice from what you just said then and from a few of the other people i spoke to at the start of the year when doing podcasts to talk about the book with so many people were like your show has been like a way of showing me how to do it and that's the coolest thing ever. Like, if I can help pay it forward in any way to somebody who is interested in getting involved in this kind of thing and looks to my show as a, an example of how to do it with authenticity and integrity, that's better for me than having a successful, steady job, you know, on some big radio station or whatever else. Um, it's at the core of everything I do. And another big thing for me that I need to name check is, as well as punk, Jackass, CKY and Dirty Sanchez were all huge for me because they showed me I could never play an instrument, I could never skate, I never had those skills, but I loved the culture and I wanted to contribute to it. 
and they showed me though all those cast members and maniacs showed me that you could just pick up a camera or in my case a mic and in that same punk DIY way don't wait for the TV contract or the radio contract or whatever it is to be offered to you get out there and make your own show just by having fun and dicking about <laughs> so, so clearly then that the independentness of your podcast is something that's been important to you but do you fear about looking forward because there was an article in the Guardian I was reading on the train when we to come here to come speak they were talking about podcasting now is an oversaturated it saturated is thanks to TV media. personalities and comedians exactly <laughs> and, and Spotify realising this Stitcher realising this iTunes or Apple Podcasts we should call it now have realised this and they're signing exclusive contracts with certain characters like you said comedians talk show hosts even fucking presidents man like give us a chance he has got the boss with him as well then, exactly right but, I mean how still. can you compete with that Barack Obama and the boss exactly I mean but like let's face it in in I feel like in our little world of punk, I feel a little bit stepped away from that because punk is never going to be mainstream. Like it's never going to be the the like the number one podcast of all podcasts because we're so isolated. But do you fear that like even in our community that could change and the idea of independent podcasts going out there making a name for itself and actually being able to hold a conversation that isn't by let's say fat mike let's say fat mike just does a podcast i actually want to email mike um soon and say you should do a show i'll produce it let's make it happen but that's the thing that there's a difference though of making a good podcast or just doing a podcast just for the sake of doing podcasts and people listening to that because even though like we're having this conversation we're still chasing after the same audience we both still want people to listen to our podcast we still want people to either buy our merch or or contribute to a patreon or, or whatever so there is an element of okay i support as many independent artists but at some point the pool's gonna get too full and we're gonna choke like is that something you think about is it something that when you're kind of doing your podcast you're you're looking at other podcasts and going they're too much of a threat they're eating into what i need I, and this isn't arrogant or egotistical on my part, so if it comes across that way, apologies, but I'm not threatened by anyone, and I never have been, and that's something which I think makes me different to every, certainly like radio host and and journalist and media type I've ever met, is that whole industry is saturated with jealousy and envy, and everyone's a threat, and you're stamping on my toe, and the reason I love podcasting is it's so much more of a community. Yeah. Um, and I learned that and, and was shown that through the first interview that I did for my book right up to this moment now. It's such a community and people have each other's backs. And I see it as like, so this street is a great example, right? Hoxton Street, where we are. I DJ at this new restaurant called Refuel Your Soul. And the way I look at it, that's a new business that's opened. And if another new business opens next door to them, that's not competition. It's bringing more people in and they, they mutually benefit. And I see podcasting as that. Like, hopefully by me appearing on your show, I can take some of my listeners to your show and vice versa. And I look at it as we're to, like, stronger together. Um, and in terms of, like, guys who are doing it on the biggest scale, let's look at the two biggest podcasters in the world, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan and Mark Maron. Both those guys, independent, you know, they might have their exclusive deals and ads and whatever else, but they do what they want. They talk to who they want. They're self-made. Those guys, for me, although they're not necessarily talking to punks about punk, they're as punk rock as it gets. They're as anti-establishment and independent and DIY as it gets. And they're, for me, like, the benchmark of where the, this thing can go. I don't think my show will ever get to that not even close um but 
in terms of where I see my show going or indeed the format going, I do worry about too many TV personalities doing shows. And I do worry about that taking podcasting in a new direction because what's cool about podcasting, it's anybody like me or you can pick up mics, just have an idea and get to work. But now it's like these fucking names and these celebrities do crap shows, but they get such high figures just because they're a name. And so many of their shows are bad. They sound bad. I know yours is raw, so it fits in with the thing, but um, there's plenty of huge shows out there that probably sound worse than this. And they're being like... They're... <laughs> I, I'll take that backhanded compliment. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Production, yeah, production level-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and they'll have production companies making them, and they'll have millions of listeners, and it's just because of who they are. And like, I'm going to feel really bad saying this because one of these guys is my friend, and I, I think as comedians, they're both hilarious, uh, James A. Castro and Ed Gamble. Love them to bits. Off-menu. But Off-menu is not a good podcast. I don't think it shows their talent or skills. I think the amount of amazing guests they've had on that they've just pissed away by going poppadoms or bread. Like, you know, it's just not a good yeah, podcast. Baby. And it's just yeah. so huge yeah. because of who they are. And that annoys me because um, it's like, you two are so funny and creative, you could make an amazing show. But now a lot of people are just thinking I'm a presenter or a personality, so I've got to have a podcast, but it's not a labor of love like this. Like we live and breathe this. We put in so much effort and time and care. And I feel like now so many people are just jumping on the bandwagon and they're kind of just pissing out, quote unquote, I hate this word so much, but in this case it applies content into the world and adding to the stack. And I do pray that it doesn't fold in on itself and just collapse because the way I look... Look, certainly a few years ago the way I looked at it was this medium has you know complete longevity yeah. it can go on forever and evolve in so many different ways but it does risk becoming mainstream and just like radio like if you just put a radio show as a podcast that's not a podcast and it's funny now people will do like a video interview and they go hey check out the new podcast and it's like no that's just a video interview you've just interviewed someone and filmed it it's different <laughs> do you know what i mean i, I feel <laughs> if i'm honest i feel we've gone past that point i think podcast now is so mainstream but this is where about the whole ideology of punk and i think it will serve me and you well is the idea of doing it diy and sticking to it and, and, and keeping it churning and interviewing interesting people and not people who in kind of email i mean you would have had this same as me people go oh this guy is in town do you want to talk to him and if i'm honest there was a point when i was doing this podcast i would like yeah okay i need i need con like you said i need content i need to i need to fill a space so let me go talk to this person i know fuck all about him i need to research it and then i'm there and I'm, i just don't give a fuck like i'm asking have you questions. done that have you see i, I have yeah i've never done that with my show um because i've never here's what's interesting you might think i get offered loads of people all the time right i'd never get offered anyone 11 years into my career having worked for kerrang metal hammer scuzz all of that i rarely if ever get pitched guests to me ever um every guest i would say 95 percent. that's not an exaggeration 95 percent of the guests who've been on my show and as we're talking i've had 235 95 percent of them i've actively chased myself because either i see they're on tour and they're in town or now we're in the zoom land i just love their work and want to talk to them yeah. but yeah i'm not offered those kind of promotional wheel guests that are on the rounds ever surprisingly um <laughs> so that's never been a thing for me and i'm never like saying yes just because i feel like i need to um i think what you hit on there is really interesting is like if you can just keep to your like stick to your guns mm -hmm. and keep putting out good quality conversations with interesting people and, and never let your listeners down then hopefully they'll stick with you yeah 
and that's that thing and i've come close to quitting so many times man and and every time i have i've spoken to a friend who's in a band and they've all said like you know every band at least five six seven eight years of their life is spent building and growing the thing before it takes off in any way and so they say to me you have to look at your show in the same way and it's like if you give up now you're probably just on the cusp of you know taking it to the next level but i am still waiting for whatever that next level is and i've had some huge <laughs> guests on and so many people where i thought oh after this this is going to be the one yeah. it's going to blow up it's going to take the show into the stratosphere and then you see it's just had like a couple more thousand listeners than normal and you're like oh it's so hard like you'd think that you could just get on like a john lydon or a gene simmons or whoever and instantly your show's huge but after five years of doing it i can tell you it's not as easy as that well if i'm honest <laughs> one, one of the things that kind of stressed me out and the reason i did want to take a break from the podcast was because i like yourself i do a shitload of time it, like researching people because i feel like if i'm going to create something create something that's good i don't want to create something that's shit and even the people who i have gone and done an interview because it's been offered to me because i need to fill content even then i put in a shit ton of effort to make sure it's an interesting conversation and that the people who are listening to it get a good interview and I, I and I feel it's really difficult to a point where I actually go, okay, like I am contributing way too much to this, and the, what I'm getting back. The reward, man. The reward's important, and people don't necessarily appreciate how much work and time and effort goes into doing these things. And I think, and they're free, and we want to keep it that way. But if you, I would say, if you listen to my show or indeed this one, and you love it, like support it in any way you can, because you need that validation as yeah. inspiration to keep going because you don't feel like what you're putting out is valued if you don't receive that and then that's when you lose momentum and i have now kind of gone okay i do, like i used to look at my numbers all the time and see where they're coming from daily yeah hourly yeah. even sometimes and now yeah. i'm yeah. like fuck them i haven't like, checked I in days i don't want to yeah. do that anymore because yeah, yeah. it just wasn't healthy and also well it's like, like the obsession with likes you know it's that same same kind of thing oh my god exactly. this post only had so many likes exactly. it gives a shit like it, <laughs> it means nothing and i think that's the that's the toxic nature that has come for podcasting now it's because it is such a not a high medium but it is so popular now and you're competing against other people who get millions of listens a week at this stage yeah and i, and I used to care like even your podcast i used to see what you were doing like with how many likes you're going okay that's what matt's getting i need to get the same as that because i'm like my podcast is just as good as matt's so therefore i want that now i'm like fuck him man like we're all doing the same thing we're all fucking grafting who gives a fuck it really doesn't matter and i was in a point in my life where i was chasing something that just didn't need chasing and and that's and did why the break allow you the time to learn exactly. that i needed that I, I needed the break not only because of the podcast but what else was going on in my my life away from the podcast if people can believe there is a life outside of this free podcast <laughs> uh, <laughs> free to those who can afford it very expensive to those who can't exactly <laughs> like it, it, i needed that time and now i've come back and like i've decided that this podcast is going to be monthly i'm not going to put in as much effort as in like trying to make it weekly fuck that i, I i've got another job i've got a life like this is something i want to do and i want to enjoy and i want to talk to people who i find interesting and that's the way that i think original interesting podcasts will survive even if it's monthly i think that will continue than barack obama who will put out five podcasts a year yeah yeah he's, he's barack obama he's always gonna have the fucking listenership but is he gonna get people who are gonna give a shit like i don't know about yourself but i've had messages where i said mate 
like I, your podcast means so much i listened to it i was in a pub the other day i was having a conversation with a friend and we connected through your podcast like that sort of shit like just refills your soul and it's not and it is an ego to a point but it's just nice to know that the scene that you love you are contributing in your tiny that's what you want and you want to add exactly so for you then like how are you looking forward are you still chasing that mark marion number or are you like fuck it man i'm, I'm quite happy with what i'm doing I'll, I'll churn it out when i do if anyone's gonna give me shit fuck them i'm enjoying this for myself it's a very timely question that because that's all i've been thinking about for the last couple of weeks um you know since i launched the show i've been thinking about the next step all the time but i'm at a major crossroads in my life at the moment and we all are i think coming out of this time i think if you're not at a major crossroads you've maybe missed the opportunity for soul searching and reflection that this time has provided us with and i launched another podcast recently um in march so when i relaunched my show series three with fat mike i also launched a new show with jesse leach from kill switch engage called stoke the fire and the concept behind that is the joe strummer kind of glastonbury campfire sessions that he would host in the years leading up to his death and then anthony bourdain and his travel show and we wanted to fuse those two aesthetics together and create this space over zoom at the moment but ultimately we want to try and make it round a real life campfire where we go deep like my show i'd like to think and this show is deep to an extent it's not just generic q a but stoke the fire is like you know we'll have on uh keith buckley or randy from lamb of gods or um chris number two from anti-flag we just had on tim from rise against we've had some great guests and then we also have on listeners as guests as well um but those we don't talk about their projects their bands we don't talk about any of that stuff all we talk about is their life and their struggles their triumphs their story in a deeply personal and intimate way and it's such a beautiful show that's changed my life so much in the three months that i've been doing it and what's interesting is not only are the listening figures for that show already as big as my show in the space of three months that's taken me five years to get now i'm not stupid i know that a lot of that is because of jesse's name and his fan base coming on board um and then but the other thing that's been super interesting is the community that's around that podcast already the the sense of genuine intimate connection that we share with our audience and that's why we get them on as guests like we want to put community first and we get the most insane life-affirming validating beyond belief emails on a daily basis from listeners who are like this show's the best podcast in the world thank you so much for all you do and i'm already feeling that show is pulling me because it's just having such a profound positive impact on my soul and my psyche and everything everything that i've got going on in my life that's good at the moment is a result of that show so i'm at a point now where i'm writing my second book i'm going to finish that hopefully by september it's going to come out early next year i'm looking i think to do 300 in total episodes of life in the stocks i'm at 235 as we talk and then i think after 300 episodes and the second book is out at this stage this might change i'm thinking about just walking away from the show at least for a while and putting all my energy and effort and attention into stoke the fire because i feel like that could become a because the thing for me is i'm trying to make podcasting a full-time paid job mm-hmm. um you're going in a different direction i love that because you're going to keep your soul pure and you're going to do it for the love and it's going to remain i think what 
is good about the show i'm at a point now where i'm like i've been doing my show for five years and as much as i love it and i do it for the love i'm 35 years old i'm living at my dad's house because i can't afford to pay rent i'm at a stage in life where i need to get paid and i don't mind saying that because it's not selling out just to make a living (laughs) um so i do think i'm going to hit that 300 episode mark put out the second book and I'm going to walk away from it, at least for a while, and, and evolve and grow, stoke the fire and just see where that takes me. Because that, for me, feels like not only it could be something that evolves into a money-making thing, but also I've met a woman through it. We had a guest on who's a... I mean, this is just one example of how special this show is. Like, she went to school with Jesse, and she's an artist, and um, she's a psychic, actually. She does psychic healing work with people. And um, we're doing this Zoom chat. And I've interviewed, you know, 500 people probably at this stage in my life, if not more. And, you know, I've interviewed women in the past that I thought were attractive and whatever and might have like a bit of a flirt with. But this was a different thing. This was like a deep, profound connection over Zoom from the get-go. And I felt myself falling for it in the process of the podcast. And Jesse went away on holiday the next day uh, or like a week later. Whilst he was away, he was away for three weeks in Costa Rica. I was chatting to her about the episode, how she wanted to be billed and all that kind of just basic stuff. And then it just morphed and evolved from that into, you know, first of all, very friendly and then flirty and then romantic. And now um, we talk every day for hours of time. We've told each other we love each other. Like it's a profound connection unlike any I've shared. We've still never met in person. And this is what's so bizarre about this situation. She lives in Long Beach. So she's coming over on the 25th of August to stay with me for two weeks. That'll be the first time we meet. But I've been single for five years and I've just taken enough time away from relationships to figure out exactly what I want and what I need. Um, Not in terms of expectation, but just like I know what my boundaries and barriers are and what i what i just need as a human being from a partner right and what i can give and and she fits every bullet point on that bill tenfold she's incredible she's the most amazing woman i've ever met and you know if we end up together which i hope that we do that'll have that will have come from three months of doing stoke the fire when i told my mum, she said to me i always thought you were going to meet someone for your podcast and isn't it interesting that you've been doing your show for five years and you didn't meet anyone and within like a couple of months on stoke the fire you've met someone so that's a mind-blowing little anecdote for you. It's interesting because through this conversation, you spoke about a lot about spirituality and um, energy. Is that something that's important to you? Is that something that's always been ingrained to you as a child? Or is it something you've discovered yourself? At, like, as you grow through life, you realize, actually, I do believe in the idea of energy and, and spirituality. I can't fucking say the word. <laughs> but as in, like, the idea that there is, there is forces around you and I'm not saying religion, like, but is that something that has found you? Or is it something that you grew up with? I reckon I should get us two more beers before I answer this question. <laughs> well, you're my guest, man. I'll get you the beers. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you Let like? me pontificate okay, my answer you do as that. we go. I'll have a Guinness again. Another Guinness, no problem. Thanks, dude. We're going to leave this rolling, punk and pub style. Hurry, can you hold my parrot? <laughs> <laughs> but are you okay? You I'm, okay? Dude, I'm great. I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Couldn't be better. The fiddles have just started, ladies and gentlemen. It's a good job we're not indoors now. Yeah, dude, if I seem mellow, it's just because I was up late and I'm nursing a hangover, but I'm, I'm absolutely golden and I'm loving this. This is just what today ordered. 
It's really good meeting you as well, man. It's good to meet you too, dude. It's, it's cheers. Nice. Cheers to you. Um, yeah, as as Matt said, there is a uh, literally we're outside, and the window next to us, there are some fiddlers. Is that, Not fucking, that, your, is that fucking your shit up? No, nah, it's nice. It's, all right. it's, it's a nice <laughs> environment, isn't it? It's like we're on the flogging Molly cruise. The Guinness <laughs> is flowing. <laughs> Weirdly, there's a, there's a conversation. I spoke to Dave King ages ago. I heard that chat. Oh, did you? Yeah, okay. he's, he's a great guy. Really nice guy, and he inv- and he invited me to go on the cruise. I was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Then it's kind of like that situation where I actually then have to get past the manager. Yeah. It's like, you're not coming. Yeah, I'll <laughs> do the amount you, of times in the moment that an artist, and I don't doubt their intentions are pure, but they just say it to be nice, you know? That I've had that so many times in my life, and then you follow up on it, and they go, yeah, about that. <laughs> I was just saying it to seem like a good guy when the mics are on. Mm. <laughs> they don't say that, but that's kind of the underlying truth. <laughs> yeah. It's a harsh reality when you learn it. It's like, I know, oh, man. man. Oh, I you weren't being real? Fuck. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was off. I was, I was nearly got my flight to Florida sorted. Um... So, yeah, I Energy. did not grow up in a religious household at all. If anything, this is a weird um, anecdote to share, but my mum wanted to get me christened. No, was it christened? Yeah, it was christened, but I wasn't a baby. I was, it was after my sister passed. Basically, when my sister passed, she, she turned to church for a while, as many people do, to try and find some solace. And she asked our village vicar to christen me, and I think I was four. And he said, I will, but I want to spend an afternoon alone with him, getting to know him. And she said, in, in no way is that happening. And so I never got christened <laughs> because she didn't trust this weird vicar to be on his own with me. And thank God, yeah. pun intended, that she didn't. What a weird request. Yeah. So for many years, I was like, you know, religion's dark and it's corrupt. And it is in many ways. Like these institutions are corrupt and and they're the source of so much bad and evil in this world um so for most of my adult life i was very anti-religion and then in 2013 after i was let go from kerrang um and what you mentioned earlier about kind of having the rug pulled from underneath you that's happened to me with every company I've worked for with Metal Hammer with Kerrang with Scuzz TV that's why I started my podcast was every company I worked for went out of business and I at the drop of a hat got let go with no warning no severance pay and I realized after you know three or four instances of this occurring in the space of three or four years there's no job security with these big companies because you're just a fucking statistic to them so I went independent but after I was let go from Kerrang it was the biggest blow not just to my ego but to my soul like it hit me so hard and I didn't know where to go next I was 27 so I was a bit too young and immature to bounce back from it in a productive and positive way so I took to drinking hard and heavily for months and I'd be out in Birmingham just on the piss like every day and I'd have people coming up to me who recognized me from Kerrang and being like oh you're Matt from Kerrang what are you up to now yeah. you used to be on Kerrang and I felt like a ghost in my own life do you know what I mean everywhere I went people would be like hey you used to be somebody now you're nobody kind of thing that wasn't what they were saying but it's very much what they were implying with their tone and it broke my heart man and i spent six months basically trying to kill myself slowly with alcohol and one night in birmingham i woke up on the train tracks now i don't know to this day whether i threw myself on them in a suicide attempt or whether i was just so drunk i was climbing up there and being an idiot and i fell but i literally landed on the train tracks and i came to and I'd broken my spine. I didn't know it at the time, but I'd broken my back. And thankfully, this is at like six in the morning. So it was just before the station was opening. 
and I was screaming from the tracks for help and the guy who was opening the station heard me called the ambulance the stretcher came got me off before the fucking first train came thank whoever and didn't slice me in half and then I went to hospital had like an x-ray and the guy was like you're fine go home and I was like I knew I wasn't fine I just felt in myself not fine but I walked out of there I was forced to walk out of there I got a cab home I went to my mum's house and I was like I'm so sorry like I've done something really bad I'm in a bad way can I come and and stay at yours for the day my sister was there and I just remember their face when I came in like just jaws on the floor they turned grey and I could see in their reaction that I just was not well so I get into bed they bring the local GP around she assesses me she's like yeah you seem fine to me um and I was basically dying what had happened was I'd punctured my lung with a broken rib so when I'd landed I'd smashed on my back up but I'd also smashed up a bunch of my rib cage and one of the ribs had gone into my lung and punctured it so what was happening was I was drowning in my own body fluids and my parents called an ambulance the ambulance came around they're like yeah we've got to get this guy to hospital now they drove me to hospital this German doctor with huge fucking sausage fingers ripped me open and like stuck a chest drain in me to drain all this fluid out and then they were like they x-rayed me again and they were like yeah you've you've broken your back in three places all your ribs are broken your sternum's broken your wrist is broken how did you get discharged from hospital i was like well you tell me yeah so i spent the next three months um of my life flat on my back in bed couldn't sit up couldn't roll over couldn't move had to like ring a bell when i needed to go to the toilet everything because they were like the the, the brakes were so complicated they didn't want to operate they said if you let it heal naturally what's called conservative treatment then that's the best way to go um we don't want to get in because they'd have to open up my entire back and like rebuild my spine which is going to be a really complicated procedure so they were like let's just let these bones heal naturally so i spent three months in bed with nothing but my own thoughts and that gave me more than enough time having nearly died to contemplate the meaning of life what comes next why are we here all of those huge conversations that i think faith and spirituality attempts to answer in a positive and productive way um and what was really cool is all these people from my past who i'd lost contact with ex-girlfriends estranged friends all these people who found out about what had happened to me came to visit me and reached out and you know i went from being the most depressed guy in the world because i'd lost this thing that defined me and just didn't want to live anymore and was trying to kill myself for alcohol i went from that guy to the most grateful and happy and humbled and just excited to be a live human being that i'd ever been and and you know will maybe ever be the 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 months that followed on from that was such a life-affirming experience and it was it was although it was painful and traumatic and you know more so to my family than me like i saw the pain i saw what their response would have been if i had died and how much pain they'd already lost one child how selfish of me um i saw the pain that my accident caused them and i was like i'm never going to be that guy again no matter how bad things get i'm never going to do anything that risks hurting anybody else forget me i can't hurt the people that i love and i learned through the process of recovery how special and beautiful and transient and fragile life is and how loved i was and how lucky i was and it was the best thing that ever happened to me so after that moment that shifted everything in me and then as i I think people often go through you then lose 
your way again. I moved to London, worked for Team Rock, got let go from them. Scars let go. I'm in this industry that's full of, as we've alluded to, competition and ego and insecurity and jealousy and all these things. And that can beat you down and that can make you sad. And, you know, as you were kind of alluding to earlier, like that living your life by comparison is so soul destroying. And I fell into those traps again pre-COVID and then COVID hit. And again, that's, you know, the worst thing that's happened to humanity in our lifetime. It's killed so many people. It's stopped the world, the long-term damage that's, you know, going to continue to take time to rebuild is, you know, devastating. But on a selfish level, this time has allowed me the time like that recovery period did to really reconnect with who I am, who I want to be, where I go from here, why are we here, all these huge questions. And then doing Stoke the Fire with Jesse, who's also a very spiritual man. And we talk a lot about faith and soul searching and the meaning of existence on the show. And I think about it daily now. I don't know where I stand with what I believe in, but I believe that you know creation is a miracle. I believe that there is an eternal existence after this human experience that we all hopefully will get to enjoy um and yeah it's i think like even on the worst days life's a miracle so you've just got to make the most of it there's my cheesy kind of life philosophy now and and this time has really allowed me that period of reflection and soul searching and personal growth so how have you found that kind of line then because in your book and on your podcast you're very open talking about drugs taking drugs drinking i mean we're now drinking like we've i was up last night very up. late and there was there was some drugs involved too <laughs> so how, how, do, how do you where does it come a point where about or has it ever become a point where about you've gone this is for enjoyment and then it's gone oh fuck this is for dependence yeah has that come about and if it has and like how do you stop that because i'm like i said like i'm quite happy to talk about past stuff because i think it helps other people discuss it so i'll indulge before I, please do man so it's my conversation bro- exactly so, so my brother's a heroin addict always that well not always he became a heroin addict at the age of 17 as far as i'm aware he's still a heroin addict we've broken up our relationship has just broken down so i've seen drugs and and, and the awful end of drugs like yeah i myself have partaken drugs but i've always had an element of okay this is where my brother let go i'm never gonna allow myself to do that yeah and i've never allowed myself to do heroin because i truly do believe it is the devil's drug yeah like, is the most it is like a bourbon biscuit it's the most moorish of all the biscuits that and crack are the two that i haven't tried and will never try because is that there's a fear though like no it's just because i have no you. interest in it because as you say it's i see where that's where it ends up where it takes people yeah. there's nothing there's, that story has no happy ending it's so, fucking devastating. So, I mean, so you live in the world, you have lived in the world, or you still live in the world whereabouts people are touring, and have you been in that environment where actually you've gone, this is okay, and you've, and you've kind of convinced yourself that because these people who are touring are doing it, that I can do it. But I think what's interesting is that these people go home, and then they don't do it. It's like on, off, on, mm-hmm. off. But actually you, part of the industry, interviewing people, DJing constantly. DJing's the big one, yeah. You are in it 24-7, so you do not have that break. You do not have that, well, I'm going home to my family now. I'm jumping on the plane. Yeah, don't have a family either, and that's a big thing. Is if, you've got, if you're a good parent or a good partner, that responsibility is an inspiration enough to take breaks and straighten out yeah. and be present and responsible. So has, has there been a point where you've gone, 
fuck, either you recognised it or maybe your partner or a friend or your family have gone, Matt, we need to have a conversation. Well, the accident should have been that. Do you know what I mean? That was what took me to that moment in time. But did your family know that came about because of that? We only spoke about it last summer for the first time ever. We had a beautiful moment in the bar in my village for my sister's birthday. She was with all her friends. Me and my mum and dad were here. I had a bit to drink the night before, a bit like today. So then you have a couple and you just... I really like doing interviews, but also having conversations with loved ones a bit hungover. There's a vulnerability there. You're kind of open and exposed. And, and we were having this chat and we were talking about everything and we were hugging and just healing and we were all crying in this pub. My sister and all her mates were like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was a beautiful day. And yeah, my dad asked me straight up because he, he saw that opportunity and I knew he'd always wanted to because it was never discussed. You know, I, I said that I was like tired and it was, you know I was in hospital in bed so they never really pushed too hard and then the recovery was just about moving forward so it wasn't about living in that space so it's never really dealt with um, but he asked me he was like you know what happened and I said well you know I was wasted and I don't know it could have been as I said a, a conscious attempt to harm myself or it could have just been a brutal accident but either way it was definitely a result of alcohol and that probably should have been enough to make me want to stop because you know I, I've spoken to so many sober people who have had far less instances than that be the you know the driving force and incentive to go straight that should have been it and there was certainly a period after for about a month or two where i didn't touch anything and then you know it's a beer and then it's a couple more beers and next thing you know you're back in it and i've never had a healthy relationship with alcohol i've never had a problem with drugs i've never like been a drug like um user i'll take them if they're there but i never buy them ever and I, and I don't require them like a lot of people I know will if they're going out on a night out like it's you know it's guaranteed that they're going to have a wrap of coke or a yeah. couple of pills or some MDMA or something I've never been that guy and if have they're not there have you ever bought drugs? I have bought it in my okay. life I'm not a total freeloader I, I've never uh, bought drugs there you in go. my life no, not, not freeloading cheers to, cheers, cheers to that <laughs> just living a free life I've, I've just I've just always been around me I've, I've never been that like I need it right now me neither I've, I've been in an opportunity where that's a friend has gone like okay so we were in Budapest on a stag do and if I'm honest dude did you buy it out there was gonna we did we made that mistake in Budapest on a stag do and it was the worst coke I've ever (laughs) had in my life it didn't even like get us high it was just weird yeah yeah but I mean it's kind of like that's the closest I've been where I was should we buy it yeah well if ever there was a time a stag do in Budapest would be I think a fair moment to make that investment I think so and even if it was shit I still would be like well a lot of a lot of drug addicts and sorry if this is a bit too close to the bone but a lot of drug addicts do actually talk about the the chase of the fix like getting the drugs is as important to them as the actual taking of it because there is there is a rush that's involved with that i mean particularly if you desperately need that product you know that that's like a you're chasing the dragon literally um but there is you know something quite fun about getting in a car with a sketchy dude and making that exchange i've done it a couple of times in my life i always enjoy it um but yeah i i I don't depend or rely on drugs at all i i could never do them ever again easily i just i talk about it with mike in the chat that we do it's like a lot of a job opportunities have come up for me from taking drugs and being in rooms with people i always say cocaine is the best networking drug there is because you get people open and talking and then you see your opportunity Very chatty. and you go hey how about this thing and they go yeah man and then they say it and then i'm the guy all the next day <laughs> punish them sober and be like so about that chat we had and i go yeah i guess i've got to honor that now because otherwise then it undermines that connection and some of the most 
beneficial for my career moments have come from those but also some of the most profound and cool connections in my life have been a direct result of like that after hours late night session environment where you're forging real friendships that last years and you're making memories that will stand out and stay with you and you know a lot of people who don't take drugs think that it's a false high so the connection isn't real and and that's fair enough if you want to assume or think that but and sometimes it is and it depends on the drug but you know some of my dearest friends have come from those nights that's where the fire was forged you know um so drugs i like would say i would never encourage anybody to do them and i'd say if you do do them then you know tread lightly because people die and if you enter into that arena you're playing with life-threatening substances i mean we've seen it in our community in the oh man recently man like i i like i think i I can't remember who 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 posted it but people dying so young now in 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 the punk me like 40 50 like i am not that far off from that age yeah and it is like fuck man like like i know these people may be abusing but still like it's no age for anyone to die and and, no. and, it, and it's sad especially in in the punk community because you will know someone who knows that person because it's so small so it's just like it kind of hits you like a ton of bricks at times and you're like okay like yeah. this well, is it's a reality like, check exactly yeah and, and we need those uh, but that's i think addiction and, and that addiction is different to uh, recreation yeah. um and, and that's not to say that you can't die from using drugs recreationally um you know i think every time you do drugs you could risk dying genuinely um from heart attacks or whatever else fucking it's dangerous shit um but alcohol is the ultimate dangerous drug for me because, because it's so socially yeah. uh, socially acceptable i mean it's punk it's called punk yeah right like, yeah. you could have a g and t or you could have an orange juice but exactly. yeah alcohol is the one that like that that's the slow killer as well you know you when you see alcoholics you see their yellow skin you see that desperation in their eyes you know walking down the street at 11 in the morning with a can of special brew that's bleak man that eats you inside you've got no hope you've got no prospects you've got no ambition you've got no drive you've got no dreams it is a life robbing substance and probably the worst of all of them i would say because of that very nature because it's so socially acceptable and for me in the past when i've been depressed that's the thing that i've gone to to drown my sorrows and for many many years that was how i dealt with my demons was by running away from them by getting drunk and i made a conscious choice in the covid peak last summer to admit that i have mental health issues and admit that i've never dealt with them in the best or healthiest of ways so what i now do consciously is if i feel those thoughts coming in i check myself out of the pub culture completely and i take care of my shit and i fix my issues before i go and have a drink and what i try and do now and what i've succeeded in doing so far this year and we're halfway through it is i only drink to celebrate life and to enjoy positive moments with friends i never drink at home ever i never drink alone ever i never drink if i'm feeling in like a bad or sad mood or i'm slightly off center or out of sorts so now in a moment like this which is a beautiful connection i'm having a drink and it's elevating the moment and i'm really enjoying it um and the the struggle goes on and i don't think i'll go sober yet i think i will go sober eventually but i think i want a few more years of you know enjoying these moments like this and and having alcohol there as part of it because i don't think i have a drink problem i think i abuse alcohol but i don't i don't depend on it 
and I certainly now don't go to it as my fixer so I'm fixing those things about it but my thing is just I'll be sober enough and still present and then that one shot will take me over the edge and I don't know whether you ever get blackout drunk but I get blackout drunk less frequently now but I'll think I'm okay and I've got a handle on it and I'm drunk and I'm like you know jolly but I'm there and then that one shot is all it takes and then you wake up and you go shit I don't remember the last few hours and that's what I don't like yeah that's what I don't like. and the, the woman who I mentioned earlier Marcella she's sober so you know that'll obviously be something as our relationship evolves she's not going to want to be with a pisshead because she's trying to stay straight is, so is that <laughs> someone has Marcella been a woman who has dabbled in drinking has gone too far or is it a case of I don't want to speak for, I don't want to speak for her um, she's fairly open about it but it's not my place to speak course, for her yeah. but yeah she's in the like she's very much in the camp of people who she she can't drink because yeah. it is a problem so she chooses to be sober to better her life um, it's not a case that she just doesn't like drinking and doesn't like alcohol it's that she, she's one of those people who needs to be sober to, to be the best version of herself and I want to be the best version of myself for me and now for her and I know I can still do that whilst drinking now um, but as I said we haven't even met yet so <laughs> you know if we're hanging out together then I'm probably not going to be there crushing beers you know <laughs> <laughs> crushing beers you <laughs> So let's, let's kind of wrap this up. You said the second book, and the thing that I enjoyed about your first book, because you very kindly sent it to me as a PDF, because I'm too cheap to buy it. Well, I, <laughs> I'm going to call out my publishers now. I'm still waiting on, like, gift copies. So I haven't sent a copy to any friends. I haven't even sent it to the artist who did the cover or the lady who took the photo, like, because I never received and I didn't want to, like, follow up on it because I did enough times and they were like, yeah, yeah, we'll send it. And I just, like, I never got any gift copies, so I couldn't give you a physical as a gift. I didn't take it, it personally. Was, but it was my pleasure to send you a, uh, a digital PDF. <laughs> I, I, I felt it with love. When it yeah. came out in box, I was like, this, this is for love. But what I really did enjoy, and I did, I legitimately did enjoy your book. I thought it was really Thank fun. I thought, I thought the way you did it was really enjoyable if I'm honest a little critique I want a little bit more about yourself everybody said that to me everybody says that about my show as well because you line it up and then you kind of go okay now here's someone else this is why I was saying yep. about the question of you talk about your product your environment yep. but you, ne- you never went into your environment yeah. so that's like okay I want more but that's a good thing to make complete I mean well. so there's kind of two things about that one was the publisher advised me very rightly so that don't spunk your load on the first book yep. is one um, don't give it all up on that one because then there's nowhere to go from there so it's kind of like teasing and because of the fact you want to know more has although I wasn't necessarily consciously trying to like tease out interest <laughs> he's like the fact, Liam the in fact, about 15 <laughs> yeah. the fact that you do is cool like the, the, the worst would be if you were like I wish there was less of you in the book yeah so the fact that you've said, and everybody, everybody who I've spoken to is, I loved it, but I would like to hear more of you. That's amazing, and I'll, I'll now for the next one definitely 
share more of myself. And as you've obviously seen, I'm up for sharing everything. I'm just also aware that people who are buying that book, hopefully, well, maybe some people are just buying it because they want to support me, but I imagine most people want to read about Laura Jane Grace and Tom Green and Steve-O and Nick Oliveri and everybody else who's in it. So, And it's the same thing with my show. I'm just conscious of not trying to like overshadow people way more famous and talented than me. <laughs> well, one of those guys, not way more fa- famous and talented than you, but like for me, like... I love punk. Like it's always been the thing that's always been around. It's the thing that I'm going to love until the day I die. But I really enjoyed your conversations with Doug Stangfo. Amazing. Because like, I'm a big comedy guy. Comedy is the thing that I think is up there with punk music, especially people like Stanhope. And he's so fucking funny because there's one line <laughs> in it, and I've, you've already started chuckling. So I'm guessing you're going to know what line I'm going to say. He said, "It's good to hear someone getting pussy from a podcast. It's hard enough to get guests, much less to get laid because of it." That is my favorite section in the entire book, and I'm so happy that you singled that out. It is single-handedly the only moment in the book for me that I will read and read back and read, and I will laugh out loud every single time. Even though I lived the interview, I typed it up, I've read it a dozen times, and still, every time I read it, it cracks me up because it is so funny it's and so to the point. It's so the truest <laughs> line of anyone who does podcasting. Knowing trying to book a guest can be a pain in the ass. The fact you get laid from it as well is like... Mate, you got a gold mine. Like, well, the, the irony with that situation is I didn't actually get laid that night, um, but I didn't want to let the truth ruin a good story. <laughs> but it's, it's right at the end of the... Is it the booze and drugs chapter, yeah, if I'm yeah, correct? Yeah, it's yeah. right at the end, and I wanted to put it right at the end. So it's the period on that chapter, and it's, it allows the reader that moment to just laugh at the end of it and go, fucking hell, that was funny. And it's the way he takes it off topic, and he talks about the beach in Thailand and how people don't go there anymore because it's like Times Square. Yeah. And then like a true comedian, and he circles it back around and he goes but I'm glad you're getting pussy from a podcast though it's so genius Um, that interview was wild I'd been up all night doing cocaine the night before it's one of two interviews I've done on No Sleep the other was Tom Morello and I don't intend to not go to bed it's just sometimes the night evolves that way and it was one of the hottest days in history like you know a couple of weeks ago when it was like unbearably hot it was a day like that and I was on no sleep I'd sobered up enough I wasn't still like high but I was you know I hadn't slept and I was wired kind of like slightly jittery on the tube sweating buckets and I go over to the hotel Stan Hope's there he's in like you know just a dirty t-shirt tracksuit bottoms slippers He's like, yeah, come up. He's got this beautiful, like, top floor penthouse room at the Hilton in Park Lane, I think it was. It's got a big balcony area. There's about five ashtrays like this, all full of (laughs) cigarettes. There's vodka bottles everywhere. And the first thing he does, I don't know if you've heard the actual interview, but first thing he does is he slams a bottle of Pepto-Bismol down on the table (laughs) and goes... I might have to get up and shit several times throughout the course of this interview. And that's kind of how it starts. And what was really cool is I didn't want to let on. Even though it was Stanhope, I never want to let on that I'm high or drunk or anything else in the interview because I think it cheapens the connection and the conversation. So I wanted to just you know be there with him and be in it. And when I sent him the book, I included a little letter. I, I sent books to all the guests who were in it from the publishers they weren't my they weren't my gift ones <laughs> just backtracking there so all the third well one of the lady uh, who's in the book is sadly no longer with us but all the other people who are with us and are in the book got sent copies and i wrote a little personalized letter to each one and the letter that i wrote to doug i said doug i just want you to know that i've been up all night doing blow the night before our chat 
and I didn't want to say it in the moment because I just didn't want to detract the conversation but I was and it was hilarious and your parts in the book make it like they really do him and Tom Green Steve-O a little bit but certainly him and Tom Green they just give it a nice point of difference to all the music chat and he's just so funny and it's hard to be funny in like written word and Kyle Gass comes across that way as well like wit on the page is a very hard thing to convey but those two do it so well and I just said thank you for elevating my book and just giving it a totally different flavour to the rest of the chat and um, he messaged me back and was like that's hilarious and he shared it on his Twitter and he obviously loved the fact that I was high on blow (laughs) the reason I bring that up because like I don't think there's any other industry where punk for me kind of plays into like stand up comedy because it's DIY mm-hmm. you, you, you're coming in it from like your fucking roots like you said before like you you craft your art mm-hmm. and I'm just interested like if you've ever seen that parody and that's why you went to Doug because Doug was clearly give a fuck about punk like he's not his he even fucking... says in the book I don't listen yeah. to any punk <laughs> exactly but he like I always find that musicians want to be comedians and comedians want to be musicians 100% so that's you... why they get on so well as well yeah exactly I was going to say is there any other comedian that you want to interview but I think that's just a bit of a shit question there's but... loads but I'll just very quickly say what I do regularly is I write to comedians and actors all the time yeah and very often I just get a no um a lot of tv and kind of media like i mean tv and film when i say media a lot of those people look down on music and rock music in particular so they see my show and they go oh it's a rock show nah so i'm constantly trying to pitch for comedians because i love talking to them because they're funny you know musicians aren't naturally good talkers that's not what they do comedians you put the mic on them they might not be being authentic like tom green was that he was so tom green until about halfway through the chat and then he you know, became at ease and revealed his true self. Um, but they're guaranteed good value. And and there's a lot of... The thing that I think comedians do is they're not only the writer of their material, but they're the performer and the director as well. So nothing could be more DIY than that. Like, you are a one-man DIY machine. Um, but yeah, sorry, I hijacked the conversation. No, no, no. It, there's definitely more that I want to chat to for well, sure. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, book number two is coming out. I think you spoke about the fact you're going to keep it more stateside than you are UK yeah I'm guessing you might do that for book three so yeah book three this will be your exclusive there you go book three is going to be called never mind the bollocks here's the interviews and the cover's going to be a riff on the Sex Pistols album cover and that will be the likes of John Lydon Steve Diggle Sean Ryder Alan McGee Dom Jolly Pritchard and Dayton James Lavelle, Nick Helm, Steve Chandra-Savelle from Asian Dub Foundation, basically all the British. Because I figured, Frank Turner, because I figured if I put all of the guests from the podcast in one book, it would just be too much of a schizophrenic overload. So I figured culturally I'll just separate them and kind of divide them that way. So the plan is to actually try and do a trilogy of American books that will all be called Life in the Stocks. So Life in the Stocks, volume one, two, three based on the 300 episodes that I plan to do. And then I want to just do one big UK edition, like the Bible, of Never Mind the Bollocks, here's the interviews. That's the plan. And then I think that'll be all of it. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt. When that happens, we'll have another chat. We'll have another beer. We'll have another Guinness. We'll try and book these guys <laughs> to just fucking turn up randomly. Any pub that has live music on a Sunday at, like, 1 p.m., especially fiddle music... <laughs> Gets, we should name check the place. Howl at the Moon, yeah? Howl at the Moon, yeah, I think it's Howl at the Moon. Hoxton Street, London Town. Check it out, across from Iceland, and two police cars, just to uh, let you know the vibe of the place. And yeah, keep an eye out for a guy with a parrot, Yeah. and if someone asks you to hold the dog, don't be surprised. Just hold it. <laughs> just hold it. Just hold it. 
Last question. Matt, seriously, man, first interview that I've done back on the podcast, and um, I'm, I'm glad, man. I'm glad we've done this. I'm glad we had a chat. And, uh, yeah, um, all the best with all the things you're going to do in the future. And um, I, I, you said about stopping doing life in stocks. I don't think you will. Well, here's why I want... I'll tell you why I want to stop just that. It's because... And I was thinking this on the way to the pub to meet you. As a show and a concept and a brand and idea, this is perfect. Punks and pubs. Mm-hmm. It's so concise. And you hear that name and you know exactly what it is instantly. When I was trying to come up with a name for my show, maybe it was Ego, whatever it was, I wanted to have my name in the title because it would, I thought, help elevate my personality and recognizability and grow my own brand so i'm the guy like mark maron nobody calls mark maron's show wtf do you know what i mean they call it mark maron's podcast and that's what i was aiming for with life in the stocks my surname stocks talk to people about life but nobody gets it and it's quite a strange i think title for actually what the nature of the show is although it is me matt stocks talking to people about life for me it makes sense but it's quite a hard thing and i think after five years with the guests that i've had if i can be so bold with the conversations that i do if the show was going to take off in an actual way that allows me to live off it it would have happened already and so i'm not going to stop doing what i do i just think that it needs a relaunch and a rebrand and a new name and a new concept that's more like your brilliant show concise and you hear the name you know exactly what it is um, and I just think life in the stocks, if it was going to work, it would have worked already. So all that's going to change will be the name, slight tweak on the concept, and it'll be a new thing. But it'll be, if you like what I do, it'll just be that, you know, but more concise and better. I like the idea that you would go to like one of those renaissance places and just do exactly. conversations. Exactly. People that's what tomorrow's. people think it is. It's like, <laughs> what? I'm in, I'm in the shackles. Like, it's a medieval torture device. Yeah. That, I was like, oh, yeah, it's a good point. That is, it's not that at all. <laughs> Matt, seriously, man, I've enjoyed this. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk again when you do your uh, your fourth book. And, um, and yeah, the we'll, UK we'll one will be the one. And dude, um, just thank you so much for the compliments, the observations, Pleasure. and the the time. Like it means a lot, and I'm honoured to be on your show. And what I really think is cool is that you admitted that thought process of initially comparing your show to mine and perhaps looking at it as a threat and actually going no that's bullshit and i'm really touched that you reached out and invited me on and i'm so glad that we now know each other and we'll see each other at shows and hopefully a lifelong friendship will definitely evolve from here weirdly i know we're gonna we're just fucking cracking it on <laughs> one hour 40 now and people are gonna be just Don't be time con- it's not very punk to time check i know, is it? I, know, know what I mean who gives a shit still there though it's still there <laughs> if you're still listening at this stage thank you <laughs> we our our paths will across it's weird because when i used to work on the punk show i used to obviously go to reading festival i never festival. knew you did that that show yeah. was a huge inspiration to me a well, great show mike to me is the guy who kind of Mike and Laura, you spoke about Laura Jane Grace before, and I'll, I'll touch on that in a second. But Mike allowed me to, to kind of live my dreams to be part of the punk community. Because you said about Kerrang doing freelance work. I happen to know the production company who created punks, um, who created Radio 1 punk rock show called Bite Your Legs. And then it moved to another production company who I forget. Something else, I think yeah. they're called. Anyway, so I got to do work experience on uh, the punk rock show, and then through that, I got to know the producer, and I got to know Mike. So I got to hang out for two years, and, wow. and really like fucking live my best life of doing everything that punk like. The Radio One Punk Rock Show to me was the fucking pinnacle. It was the real deal. 
It was Loved a real it. deal. And I took over hosting the lockup stage at Reading after Mike stopped doing the show. And I felt so... It was kind of like one of those poison chalice gigs because all I wanted to do was keep that stage and his legacy alive. But I knew that I had no business being there because he was such a champion for that music. And that show was so authentic and so good. And, and he was a booker as well. People yeah, he was the real he, deal. He booked every single band who played that stage. Yep. And you could tell. You could tell yeah. it was curated by a guy that knew that community inside and out. And the interviews that he would do, you could hear the guest reverence for him. He was a huge inspiration to me as a broadcaster. And, it, and it's sad that the BBC never appreciated it and they just decided to put Danny... And this isn't against Daniel Peake. Fuck so the BBC. I, yeah, well... There goes any future slightly, job prospects. But slightly employed by them. Oh, yeah, but sorry, it's, mate. It's, it's fine. It's my opinion, not Liam's, <laughs> as, as you have to say if you work for the BBC. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. Um, but, yeah, so, like, Daniel... Like, I have nothing against Daniel, but, like, the BBC just saw... Okay, here are two genres, rock and um, and metal... And they didn't. They couldn't understand that punk and hardcore were completely different. Look at those genres now. Punk and hardcore, I would say, are way more successful on that le- below headliner level. Yeah, hundred percent. And I just feel like Mike. I can remember driving back to Gatwick with Mike from Reading Festival, and he was at the time where he was redu- renewing his contract. And he was like, "Just fucking do it, man! Like, we're dragging this out. Like, what are they losing? We're already at two a.m. on a." I think it was a Friday night at this point in time yeah. because we got bunked from Thursday at 10 I think to a Friday at 2am he's like like they're already fucking dicking us man just, just fuck it we'll carry on and we'll continue to do what we're doing because I don't care anyone who says who lives in this country the punk show introduced so much fucking good music it's iconic it's iconic and, and it's a sad t- hello you you can take your glasses thank you it's alright a guy asked me to hold his dog earlier so you're fine thank you so much thank you so much you're like oh sure I know the guy (laughs) (laughs) he's always around here asking people to hold his dog yeah yeah dude that show was so iconic and influential and Mike was in a different league to Dan as a presenter yeah he was more natural He he was so relaxed he didn't give a fuck like he he didn't book people he didn't like he didn't talk to people he didn't like like the thing with Mike is he didn't really like people so that did he not that no, no, that never came across at never, all he doesn't like people really no. wow he likes his own environment right he likes the people who he talks to he never enjoyed talking to people that so he's not so like so d- the reason Dan is as successful as Dan is because he plays the game very well yeah he's a great networker and that's his thing yeah Mike, Whereas if Mike you don't want to do that you ain't going to last at the BBC because you have to play by their rules and also Mike just want to be a fucking fireman yeah. that was all he ever wanted to do he wanted to become a fireman and crack on with his life like punk was a, a part of it but he, it was never his be all and end all and he's doing what he wants to do now and he's a fireman and he's enjoying it well I don't know he's enjoying it California's a fucking <laughs> burning fire he's certainly not out of work no exactly shout out Mike Davis man all the respect in the world to that guy I'm glad 100%. that we got to touch on that because that show was a massive we didn't mention it earlier but that was another one of those things along with no effects Sanchez etc that definitely showed me that you could be authentic and true this might get cut we're an hour now 47 it's not so, very uh, punk rock to cut it's not it's <laughs> <laughs> Matt, the punk police again thank you for your time we've said bye about fucking several times Um, This is it now. Dude, yeah. Thank you, mate. The last farewell. Cheers to you, dude.
Okay, let's keep this short because <laughs> fucking hell, if you're still listening, again, free sticker. Thank you to Matt for taking the time to chat to me. The link to his book and his podcast, Life in Stocks, can be found in the episode description of this podcast. Thank you to O Leopardo for sponsoring this month's episode. Go give them some love and watch their music video on the Punks and Pubs socials at Punks and Pubs. If you want to know more about getting some free sponsorship on the podcast, please email me, punksandpubs at gmail.com. Right, that's it. Get vaccinated so I can continue to say these words. If you're going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up again. It's good to be back. Bye-bye. Composing your best song is sacrilege But when most of